3: Warm up from the hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Koska with myself, Greg Hier. and now a part of the Beaston Family of podcasts. We've got a tremendous podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are gonna be joined by Eli Becker, the founder of Echex We've got a lot to unpack with him. We're gonna be taking a look at some of the bigger names that are out there in the transfer portal right now, but on top of that, some of the guys with big NBA draft decisions who helped their stock over the last week or so with regards to the NBA Draft Combine, who wound up hurting their stock a little bit as well. And then we're also going to be diving into what in the world has been happening out there in the Pac-12 because we have seen a lot of teams not get active with the transfer portal whatsoever. It's been a very bad offseason, in my opinion, for the Pac-12, especially with a guy like Andre Kelly who's in the conference going down to the Big West. So we're going to be having that chat with Eli in the second segment and then in the final segment. Going to give you guys a little bit of a recap as to all the news and that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Sunday wound up seeing a lot of shall we say lesser guys up making decisions with regards to the transfer portal gonna be big for some schools out there in conferences like the Atlantic Sun. So we're gonna be recapping that in the final segment. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast? You do have one of two ways to, to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, airball fire, whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, find that five star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but had a great chat with Eli a little bit earlier on Sunday. So I'll be bringing you guys that next right here on Coast soups with myself, Greg Spears and now a part of the VC family podcast. we are back here in Las Vegas with Jessica Stevens with myself, Greg epps Pearson. and now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest, Eli Becker, does a terrific job over there at HeatCheckCBB. He is the founder of that tremendous platform, but on top of that, he does some work over there at Athletic Director U. This is a man that is based out here on the West Coast, much like myself, and he makes it very easy to be able to find him on social media as Eli is able to be found at Bedger underscore Eli. Last name is spelled B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R underscore, and then Eli all together. And Eli, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
13: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Greg. I appreciate it.
3: I appreciate you, and I do appreciate the fact that things are going to be starting to come to a head with regards to all this roster movement that we've seen this offseason because the NBA draft decisions, they are going to be coming down in the next few days. And I know that a big thing with regards to these decisions is take a look at these guys that they wound up being at the combine and out of everything that we've seen over the last, we'll call it seven days. Who do you think is more slash less likely to come back to school based on what they wound up doing at the combine in Chicago about a week ago? I would start
13: with saying that Jake LaRig is one of the major risers from Wake Forest and wasn't previously seen as maybe a professional as recent as, I don't know, 12, 15 months ago, but he had a great season with Wake Forest. He Measured quite a bit taller than I think a lot of people thought he would be, listed as six foot eight in shoes, which is a bit of a surprise. And this is a guy who could play a legitimate three and D role off the bench for NBA teams and contribute. And he put together a great combine, and he looks to be emerging as someone who will be selected maybe late first round, early second round, based on kind of the things that I've been seeing. So expectation now that Laravia and also Landis Williams are both going to be. Leaving Wake Forest uh, leaves kind of a a bit of a scoring void for the Demon Deacons under Steve Forbes. And another two guys, I'll say, from the mid-major level who have been making a pretty substantial impact. One of them being Kenneth Lofton Jr. from Louisiana Tech, who really has feasted on the competition that he's faced. And he kind of came on as one of the risers in the U19 tour last summer. And he also put together a great NIT performance shortly before that last year but was kind of seen as maybe a guy who's a little too chunky, a little undersized as far as height is concerned to find a true position at the next level. But he's been great in the combine. He's looked to be quite a bit slimmed down. He's been pretty versatile. I think he's put together a good handful of days performing against high-level competition. I think his stock is quite a bit lower than LaRavia's. He'd probably be a second-round selection if he keeps his name in, but that is a guy to watch because he would be considered at least one of the top players in the portal. And we've seen some rumors of him maybe going to Houston, his home state. So that's a curious one. And then I think the other one is probably David Roddy from Colorado State. He's honestly has kind of a similar build as, as uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr., I'd say. A bit shorter, uh, maybe an inch or two shorter than him, but very much a thick presence. He's got more of a versatility as far as his offensive skill set and put together an awesome season with Colorado State. We've seen his name go from probably, uh, from what I heard, maybe an 80% chance of staying as recent as a couple months ago to now, I would say probably 50% at best. He might even be leaning towards staying in the draft at this point, based on what I've heard. Could be seen as a late first round prospect or early second round. And I think, honestly, Greg, he's gone from a guy who's seen as maybe not having a position at the next level because he is a bit on the shorter side and stout, maybe not really a three point threat uh, projected to be that at the next level, but he just seems to do so many things well on a basketball court. And he might not be elite at any one trait, but he does a lot of things really well. And I think that's going to be attractive to front offices who can take what he brings and just allow it to flourish over time as a pro. So. I've got my eyes on those three guys, and they've done a really good job in the combine. I think it, it probably leads to most, if not all of them, leaning towards staying in the NBA draft as much as I'd like to see them play another season of college basketball.
3: Yep, I'm right there with you, especially on Jake LaRavia. He has been really climbing up draft boards. I'm seeing a lot of people project him now as a first-round pick. So I do think that it's going to be interesting to take a look at him and Wake Forest moving forward as we do have Eli Becker of h x c b b joining me on the podcast because – I do take a look at Wake Forest, and I think even with those two guys out of the fold, they're still in relatively solid shape because they did want to getting back Davion Williamson. Now, I think that we would both agree. I think we both thought that Davion Williamson was going to be coming back to school, but I take a look at Wake Forest with him back that he's probably going to need to do a little bit more with regards to the offense, but you take a look at some of the other transfers that they wound up getting in the portal this offseason. They wound up bringing in otika a little bit of a sharp shooter for this team, and then on top of that, Tyree Appleby certainly is not going to be as versatile as Llandis Williams was, but at the same time, he is a little bit of a better shooter in general. I do think that Wake Forest. Even with those two losses of Williams along with LaRavia, which we're both assuming, I still think that they've got a chance to be able to rise up in an ACC that, in general, I think that the arrow is trending upward with regards to this conference.
13: I agree with you there. And Steve Forbes is leaning towards a coach who I can trust based on the talent that he has. and He was able to get the absolute most out of Alanis Williams, who really wasn't a guy who received a ton of buzz in the transfer portal last season despite being a high major transfer and a guy who— contributed at the high major level over at Oklahoma in the big 12. And I do see some similarities with Tyree Appleby's fit within Wake Forest. And I don't think he's going to have quite the season that Alanis Williams has. And that's obviously saying quite a bit because he had a spectacular season, but I think Tyree Appleby's fit with Wake Forest is a good one because he is a player who can manufacture some of his own scoring. He shoots about 34% from deep on at least five or six attempts a night. Uh, I think, Keeping turnovers low will be key for him because he does have quality distributing abilities. But overall, he's a pretty efficient scorer. I would like to see him probably be a bit more of a lockdown defender to be kind of a two way guy to allow Wake Forest to be stout defensively. But overall, I think given the losses and there were substantial ones for Wake Forest this offseason, I think that Steve Forbes and his staff have combated those pretty well. I still think it's probably a team that is. Maybe on the outside looking as far as at large contention, but it is a team that's recovered fairly well overall, I'd say.
3: Yep, they certainly have been able to do a solid job in recent years. I like what C Forbes is building over there. And something else that is being built is the fact that we've got more and more guys in the portal of note, because I do think that there's gonna be a few guys that pull out the NBA draft that Probably would be in a lot of years right around a second-round draft pick. And a lot of these guys, that they don't get first-round guarantees, are going to be pulling out. And you can tell that that was the case for Matthew as Over the weekend, he decided that he was going to be coming back to school. I think that this one is relatively massive with regards to the transfer portal. I'm not sure if there are any other guys that are currently sort of just testing the waters that you think are going to be coming back. They're sort of on that borderline. I still take a look at Pat Baldwin Jr. because he measured out so badly. I think that there's a shot that he could wind up going into the transfer portal. That could really be a shakeup as well. But I take a look at the Matthew Meyer situation, and I think it's one of the most intriguing ones out there because I know that North Carolina has been calling for him. Obviously, it was at Baylor last season, but they picked up Caleb Lohner, which is why he wound up entering in the transfer portal. So that one is a big one, and I'm sure that there's going to be a few others that wind up following him with Meyer that is really going to be making things juicy within the next few days.
13: Yeah, I love how you mentioned Meyer because I think that's the one that is really on everyone's radar, even though the main team that's been rumored to pick up Meyer is North Carolina. And I think that fit would be just awesome for him. He's, he's not going to be the same type of player that North Carolina had last season and Brady Manick at that four spot. But I just think the more that I look at North Carolina and many people have the Tar Heels as their projected number one overall team for next season, I still think shoring up that power forward spot to allow UNC to continue to play the four out one in with Arm- Armando Bacot in the middle would just be so helpful for this UNC offense. And even though Meyer might not be the perimeter shooter that Brady Manick was last season, I think he does bring substantial slashing abilities and just uh, overall prowess in terms of getting into the lane and scoring that would take this UNC offense to another level. I, I just don't know if UNC is quite ready to trot out uh, Puff Johnson as they're starting forward, or even try to go a bit smaller with their lineup. I just think that landing Matthew Meyer would be huge for UNC in maintaining or at least looking like a Final Four National Championship type contender next season. But as you said, there are a lot of guys that are pretty intriguing in the transfer portal still as we're approaching June. I think Tyrese Hunter is a big name that's out there from Iowa State. with The Cyclones have been huge as far as, transfer portal additions and also departures Uh, that's a really big one and Imani Bates is still hanging out there and that's a former five-star recruit seen as a one-and-done guy Uh, he's still got a decision to make even though there are some rumors of where he's going to be headed but it's intriguing to have some of these star players or uh, former top-rated recruits who have decisions to make you could also throw out maybe Joey Baker from Duke who just announced his intentions of transferring and Also, A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, who's uh, got Duke on his radar. That's another player who I would say falls into maybe the line of like uh, Baylor Shireman from South Dakota State in terms of the Midwest guy who knows how to score and gets buckets and could produce at at a high major level. But also Isaiah Mosley from Missouri State, who's been remembered to go to Kansas. So a lot of these. Programs that are considered to be final four contenders, second weekend contenders are still in contention for some of the very best possible additions in the transfer portal. So there are names to keep an eye out as far as some of those guys. But overall, I think a lot of teams now that we are approaching that withdrawal deadline are just looking for their final bits of patchworking here and there to try to iron out their as best they can and try to avoid any uh, major gaping holes in terms of what the roster looks like for next season.
3: And I'm right there with you on Isaiah Mosley being a big impact guy. I feel like he's the one that's really going under the radar. Absolutely tore it up last season at Missouri State. He and Gage Brim won the most underrated duos that we wound up seeing out there. So good on you for mentioning that one because I am right there with you on that. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Eli Becker does a terrific job as the operator of Heat Check CBB, the man that wanted founding it all and I take a look this off season, and there have been quite a few teams that have makes some good moves. I mean, obviously, we're taking a look at Florida. The fact that they went bringing in Todd Golden, the fact that they're bringing in all these transfers, and on top of that, they brought back Colin Castleton. Coming to mind is Bryant. List goes on and on, but. Hear me out. Georgetown has actually been able to have one of the better transfer portal periods this entire offseason. I look at Georgia. I like what they've done. I look at Missouri. I like what they've done. And I just take a look at what's happened here in the transfer portal in the offseason. And it feels like a lot of these teams that they were just tomato cans in their conference, like Georgia, dead last in the SEC. Georgetown didn't win a single game out there in the Big East. Missouri, another SEC team that they wanted scuffling. Uh, What I really like to see is that a lot of these teams that they were just, we're going to call it what it was, bad last season. They've been able to hit the transfer portal, and they've done a good job, and I think that that's really going to bolster a lot of these just conferences in general with regards to their net rankings list goes on and on like I don't think that Georgetown and Georgia are going to be NCAA tournament teams or anything like that but the fact that they're going to be more competitive I think is just good for these power conferences in general
13: I'm right there with you and I think what's interesting about the teams that you listed there they're all pretty much some of the bottom in their their conferences Georgetown of course didn't even win a big east game last season and the bigger picture here uh, and from what I've heard and what I've studied and what I've read about the transfer portal and how coaches have approached it is it is kind of a quick fix that coaches can utilize these days, whether it is a first-year coach that maybe lost part of his recruiting class during the coaching transition or inherited a bad roster. It's a way that you can pick up maybe two or three starters quickly instead of relying entirely on freshman or JUCO transfers to try to navigate that first year. And likewise, you might have a head coach who's at his third or fourth of the year with the high major program. Maybe he hasn't reached the NCAA tournament yet and there's pressure for him to do so. Well picking up a high major transfer or a mid-major superstar in the transfer portal is a way to go about that route. And and I'll add another team in there to the list, which is a team that I'm honestly pretty intrigued by heading into the next season. That's Arizona State. And the Sundells were really an up and down team last season. They started off the year and just had a really rough go of things, some blowout losses, but they also had some odd signature wins. They beat UCLA. They gave Arizona a tough game. They beat Creighton. And now they enter next season with a handful of transfers who I honestly really like. They added the Cambridge brothers, Desmond Cambridge and and David Cambridge, uh, and those guys were some absolute studs at their recent spots at Auburn and Nevada, uh, particularly Desmond from Nevada, who just became a great three-level scorer for the Wolfpack. Frankie Collins also comes in from Michigan, and he's a guy who is, I would say, a little bit divisive as far as what his performances look like with the Wolverines. But he is a really high talent who I think could do quite a bit of good over in the Pac-12, and also bringing in Warren Washington, who is a Desmond's Cambridge teammate over at Nevada. He's a seven-footer, a great rebounder. Also started his career at Oregon State, so you know he has high major talent and degree. And They also might get some returners as far as what it looks like right now with guys like Marcus Bagley, DJ Horn, Alonzo Gaffney, some of those players who were probably not as efficient or as impactful as uh, Bobby Hurley would have liked to have had last season. But I think that overall, this is an ASU team that is going to have a lot of pressure. We know how hot Bobby Hurley's seat is at this point, given the team's talent level and inability to really get over the hump these last handful of seasons. And this team still hasn't won an NCAA tournament game, uh, at least past the first four under Hurley yet. And maybe this isn't the team to do it, but I do think that with these additions, it raises ASU's overall talent level. And these are guys who were productive or at least showed promise at the previous spots at high levels, whether it was really high level as far as mid-major in Nevada or whether they're actually high major stops in in Auburn and Michigan, so I'm intrigued by ASU, and I'm also just intrigued by the fact that a lot of those teams, like you mentioned, these are the bottom feeders in their conference, and a lot of those teams that struggled last year have picked up some pretty notable additions, and I think it kind of tightens things up in a lot of these high major leagues, which is always uh, is always fun to watch as far as the the viewers as the season comes along.
3: And Eli, you just got me on something with bringing up Arizona State. Have you at all been surprised that the Pac-12 has not done much here in the transfer portal, like? Oregon is typically a little bit more active than they have. And in Oregon, they've made a couple moves themselves, bringing in Keyshawn Bartholomew among with Jermaine Cousinard. But I take a look at the Pac 12 in general. You'd think that this team would really, or you'd think that this conference in general, after you wound up having so many bottom feeder teams, would try to bring in anything. I mean, Jared has somehow, some way, winds up getting another year. They have been as dormant in the transfer portal as humanly possible. Cal winds up losing Andre 3000 Kelly to the Big West. I I don't know how that winds up happening. I take a look at this entire offseason for the Pac-12, and I think Arizona State is really going to be able to rise up in that conference because everyone else around them is just right now sitting on their hands doing nothing. And if anything, they're losing out on all these transfers like Andre Kelly going to the Big West and have actually gotten worse this offseason.
13: Yeah, that's, I mean, I was going to bring that one up before you did, but Andre Kelly going to the Big West is crazy to lose a a 13.8 rebound guy to a one-bid league is nuts. It's nuts. And I think you hit it because the Pac-12 is been a conference. They obviously had the 2021 NCAA tournament where they had those wonderful performances and got a lot of teams into the Elite Eight. But the talent level is usually one through recruiting, being able to bring in a lot of West Coast, Texas five star, four star, top 100 guys. But I'm surprised as you are that just overall the Pactol hasn't been more involved in the transfer portal or at least hasn't brought in more stars. It just has been kind of a ho-hum off season for this conference at large. And it surprised me because there is quite a bit of departing talent. And you mentioned Oregon. I, I do think they probably have the best incoming transfer class besides ASU at this point, but Keyshawn Bartholomew and Cuisinart, they're just not exactly needle pushers. And maybe it's who Anna Altman and his staff believe we're going to be the very best of fits. And if that's the case, then then that's how that goes. But even a program like Arizona, which as far as I'm concerned, I believe that they'd pretty much be able to bring in just about anyone that they want now that they've got things rolling. In the first year under Tommy Lloyd, getting a one seed and obviously the Wildcats have some pretty significant departures uh, th- this offseason. They're going to lose Benedict Mather to the NBA draft. They're going to lose Christian Coloco to the NBA draft. Also lose Justin Kyer and there aren't really many notable additions they've got their incoming class but it's mostly unranked guys uh, besides Dylan Anderson and it's putting a lot of pressure into maybe like a Dale and Terry to step up who he has his name in the NBA draft as well and he could potentially withdraw it which I think is probably the best decision for him but I think just at large and just overall I'm surprised that a lot of these teams haven't been more aggressive or at least successful. Uh, USC is another example. They don't really have any major uh, transfer additions this season. USC traditionally has done a pretty good job under any Enfield in terms of getting transfers. So I'm as surprised as you are. Washington, you can refer him to UW in <laughs> the Pacific Northwest, but getting Frank Kepnong is obviously not really the biggest thing that they would have hoped, bringing over Braxton Mia from Fresno State, who was a bench guy there. A lot of head scratches in the conference overall, and I guess we'll see how it pans out, but I think there's a lot of pressure being put on some of these returning guys to develop and get a lot better
3: over time yeah to your point expecting a guy in Braxton Mia who averaged two points per game at Fresno State going up to Washington hard (laughs) to think that he's all of a sudden going to be becoming some sort of a monster down low and doing some sort of great things because they certainly aren't Eli Becker because Eli (laughs) you do absolutely amazing work over there at HeatCheck CBB I know you're doing some work over there with athletic director you I know you've got many irons in the fire you're doing an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at everything that we were getting this college basketball season. So love to get people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything they have got going on in general. I really appreciate that, Greg. It's a
13: whirlwind this time of year with NBA draft winding down and transfer portal and everything being sorted out and being able to, fingers crossed, hopefully be able to preview rotations and lineups and everything over the coming months but as always we're attacking it over on heatcheckcbb.com and all of our social media handles are at heatcheckcbb and it's like we're yourself we're doing the very best we can to keep track and manage all of the roster movement we have going on and different coaching staff changes and everything that goes into creating a new college basketball season so we're following along with it keeping keeping tabs on everything the very best uh, we can and looking forward to inching closer to another uh, awesome season of college basketball.
3: It is going to be an awesome year of college basketball. And Eli does a great job of being able to follow it all. And all the guys over there at CBB. they all do amazing work. Eli has set up an absolutely tremendous network. And it is always great to be able to get him on the podcast. So big thanks to Eli for joining me right here on Coast to Coast. He's now a part of the Eason Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we saw in college basketball on Sunday. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost and with myself, Greg Gabe And now, a part of the Decent Family podcast, it is always a pleasure to get Eli Becker on the show. He does absolutely amazing work. Over there at CBB, he is the founder of that fine website, and he always brings the goods with regards to this podcast whenever he joins it, and a man that he covers this thing 12 months out of the year. So a big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast that I give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball over the last 24 hours, and we wound up seeing quite a few guys, and I think it's fair to say wound up making a little bit of lesser moves. Some of these, I think, are actually going to be quite important, though. Like, Zulkeith, Keith has you know, decided that he is going to be going to get Tennessee State. Someone that winds up going from Gallatin, Tennessee, and he, two seasons ago, shot 37.5% for three, was able to put up seven points, three rebounds per game as a six-foot-seven combo player for Northern Illinois. This last season, big fall off, four points per game, wasn't able to find it from three-point range, but if he's able to just recapture what he wound up having two years ago, I think that this is going to be big for a Tennessee State team that they've seen a lot of mixing and shaking over the last few months. They've just been unable to find that right blend in general. They seem to be trying to go a little bit more up-tempo. It's been a team that has lacked discipline to say the least, but I do think that this sort of an addition is going to be able to give them a couple more dimensions. They're going to need a little bit of help on the glass, but I do like what Tennessee State has been able to do here in the transfer portal. They bring in Junior Clay from Tennessee Tech, a double-figure scorer over there. Zach Griffin coming over from UIC, so it's actually been a relatively solid uh, season for them. We wind up seeing a lot of guys go from the D1 level to the non-D1 level on Saturday slash Sunday, as well as you did wind up having DeMarcus Hull. He was playing at Louisiana Monroe He has decided that he is going to be going down to the non-D1 level, and he is going to be going down to Bossier Parish Community College If you have heard of that, you are a better person than myself, and or you probably wind up living in the area, which is most likely the case there with Hall, putting up right around two and a half rebounds per game. So a couple minutes, but not necessarily going to be a big loss there, and this is very easy for your handicap. All you need to note is that Mr. Hall, who's playing at the D1 level last season, is now at the non-D1 level. You're able to just cross him off your list, of guys that you need to evaluate and you're able to move on from there. So that's nice, neat, clean, and easy with that regard. And then we did wind up seeing Makai Abi. He was playing last season at Liberty. Give me Liberty or give me, in this case, Dallas Baptist, as he's going to be going down to the non-D1 level, a guy that... Last season, saw a few minutes, right around three points per contest, two rebounds per game, had a little bit of size. Ended up seeing nine and a half minutes per contest and did wind up shooting 44% from three-point range. With the way that it is a little bit more of a mental school with Liberty, I'm a little bit surprised that he decided to go down to the non-D1 level, had a chance to perhaps see a few more minutes, but he is not out of the fold for this team. Luke Brown, he was playing last season at Ball State, and he and Jalen Blackman of Grand Canyon both decided that they're going to be going to sets in. With Brown last season, he put up right around 3.5 points per contest. Someone that shot barely over 30% from three-point range, but I feel has a little bit of upside. I do think that he needs to start doling out the ball a little bit more, and that's something that Stetson was lacking a little bit more last season. And then with Blackman, this is someone that was at Grand Canyon last year. Very similar, right around three points per contest. Shot right around 36% from three-point range, and that's going to be big for a header team that, we're going to call it what it is. They were a little bit all over the place last season because Rob Perry, their top scorer wound up pretty much stepping away from the program. Midway through the season, they were able to get some good facilitation out of Steven Swenson. Looks like he is most likely going to be back in the fold for this team, so that's going to be able to bring things together. If you can wind up having a little bit of passing out of Brown and both of these guys be sharp shooters, I think that you're actually going to be looking at a little bit of something when it comes to this team. So Stetson making some moves out there in the Atlantic Sun. You wind up seeing Ron Brown the third. He was playing last season, and I actually put up some numbers. 16 starts for him, right around 4 points per game. A little bit more more of a defensive stopper mean he didn't take a ton of threes, but he shot 50% from 3 point range. He decided to go down to the non-D1 level. He's going to Butler, but it's Butler Community College. So, once again, a case of which you can cross him off your list of guys to be able to evaluate, and that is actually a little bit of a loss when it comes to Niagara because the Purple Eagles, they're a team that they really do like to develop. You've got Marcus Hammond, who decided that he was going to be going to Notre Dame in the offseason. You wound up having a lot of guys that were seniors and fifth-year guys on the roster last year, so we do have quite a bit of overall that is going on with Niagara. Kenny Burns, he was playing this last season over at Kennesaw State as we give our 0-2 Link Go goals. He and Mason Quattlebaum have both decided that they are going to be going down to the non-D1 level with Quattlebaum. He's going to Missouri-St. Louis and with Burns, he has decided that he is going to be going to Polk State College, which is actually halfway decent Community College slash Juco School has been able to develop some guys. You take a look at Quadlebaum, and uh, he wound up putting up right around two and a half points per contest, and not one of seeing a lot of action. And then you take a look at the other gentleman and Mr. Burns, and He was able to do a relatively okay job when he was given minutes with three and a half points per contest. Problem was, he just was unable to stay healthy, was unable to stay out there on the floor. Both of these guys had a little bit of promise coming in, but neither guy was really able to stay out there on the floor and be available. So, you know, for nothing but the best out of those guys, Zane Butler, he was playing last year at SIU Edwardsville. He has decided that he is going to be going to Navarro College. That is another one of those big-time JUCO schools in which we've seen a lot of guys wind up going down to the non-D1 level and then they're able to resurface a year or two later with Butler. Just didn't wind up getting a lot of minutes with SAU Edwardsville ever, right around two points per contest last season. Someone who at five foot eleven is really gonna need to work on his ball handling. So we're gonna see if he's gonna be able to do that. You saw Ryan Clayfin. He last season was over there at UW Green Bay. And in his two years at UW Green Bay with Clef Flynn, he was able to get 16 starts, wound up averaging only about three points per contest for a UW Green Bay team that They just wanted to make one of the worst hires really ever or just one of the worst decisions in general because I don't think Will Ryan is a bad coach. I think he got put into a really bad situation, though, with them firing Link Darner. He's a completely different coach than Link Darner. Darner was doing a relatively solid job with UW-Green Bay. It was clearly a money call. I have... Some ties over there with UW-Green Bay, and it was just a befuddling move that they wanted to making, to say the least. And now they went from being an above-average Horizon League team to absolutely terrible. So you wound up having Clayfin decide that he is going to be leaving the school. And, well, last one out of UW-Green Bay. Turn off the lights, and they've done nothing out there in the transfer portal this offseason. So not going well for them. Jason Adopay, he was playing at Fairfield last season. He's decided that he is going to be going to New Haven College, and he wound up being able to average right around 2.5 points, 2.3 rebounds per game, just was unable to stay available, limited fewer than 10 games last season due to injury. So that was a little bit of an issue for him. He's decided that he is going to be going down to the 91 level, get some time, Tyler Gill. He was another guy that just could not stay healthy for Towson. He has decided that he is going to be going to Fayetteville State, averaged less than a point per contest. So not a guy that you really need to worry about there. And then another guy, Jaden Frazier, he has decided that he is going to be going down to the non-D1 level. Wanted playing for two years at Chattanooga, just was unable to get out there on the floor. He has decided that he is going to be going to Rollins College. Now with regards to more of the D1 guys, you wanted to seeing Che Evans, who just wanted up red shirting last season. He was going to go to UTEP after he wound up spending his first year at San Diego State. Could not wind up getting out there with San Diego State. Last year wound up red shirting. Did not wind up seeing the floor. He decided that he is going to be going to USC Upstate and USC Upstate has actually had some success taking shots on guys that were relatively highly touted but just could not wind up getting minutes in general. He was someone that was ranked number 239 in terms of the class of 2020 by 24-7 sports and he's got a nice frame on him. Six foot six is able to pop some threes. This is going to be very solid for a USC Upstate team that last season they were able to do a very solid job of be able to bury a couple shots. So um, I think it's going to be intriguing to see what winds up happening there. Something that we have seen quite a bit of this offseason as well as a lot of these guys that they wind up playing at these HBCUs going down to the D2 level and staying with the D2 HBCUs and we've seen that with D'Angelo Epps. Wound up beginning his career at College of Charleston and this last year at Hampton. I mean it was just a case in which Hampton, they to be utilizing two guys and two guys only. The offense ran exclusively via Russell Dean and Najee Garvin. Epps was a nice little ancillary piece for this team. He was at 6'5", a guy that was able to put up right around 6.5 points per contest, gave the team five boards, shot a few threes, didn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but he decided that he's going to be going to Catawba. College, I think that he's going to be able to tear it up there. You wish him nothing but the best, but that's a little bit of a blow for an Hampton school that they have quite a few losses from the last few months. Devin Hancock, he was playing at uw Milwaukee last season. He decided that he is going to be heading out south, and he is going to be going over to Louisiana Monroe, a guy that last season we we'll up seeing right around 13 minutes per contest. Didn't necessarily tear it up on offense, but did wind up shooting 38% from three point range, six foot three with a little bit more of a green light. I think that this is someone that could actually put up some solid numbers out there with a Monroe team that they just have not been able to find themselves recently. So could going to be interesting to see what happens there. AJ Hamrick, he last season was playing at Charleston Southern. He has decided that he is going to be going down to the non D1 level. He is also going to be going to Polk State College. So, they wound up having quite a few pickups as he's a guy that just did not wind up putting up anything whatsoever. Three and a half points, 3.1 rebounds per game, but only eight games played for him. Six foot nine, a little bit of a combo gentleman, so a little bit of a loss there. If he would have been able to stay healthy, he might have been able to do something for Charleston Southern. Tigra Z, he was playing last season at LaSalle, wound up putting up right around two rebounds per game. He decided that he is going to be going down to the 91 level. He is going to be going down to Harcum College, Jordan, and this is a very... Hard last name to say, Kuczynski. He was playing at Drake two seasons ago, just never could wind up seeing the floor. He has decided that he is going to Eckerd College, so not necessarily much of an impact there, but this is a little bit more of an impact. You had Marlon Lesson. He was playing last year at East Carolina. He has decided that he is going to be going to Murray State. Murray State, they need to be able to find a way to be able to fill out this roster because I and mean, you've got a lot of guys that they just want up being in and out of the fold in general with Lesson. Just could not wind up getting out there on the floor last season at East Carolina, but I do think that there is a chance for him to be able to see some good minutes right away over there at Murray State. Someone that, with regards to the class of 2021, he was actually being pursued by a couple schools like UMass, Providence. There were quite a few of the northeastern schools that were in on him. He actually came from the country of Canada. Six foot nine, two hundred pound gentleman. That I think is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low for Murray State, and they are going to need it. So. You decide that he is going to be heading over there. You wanted up seeing Milton Matthews decide that he is going to be going from North Carolina a And he's going to be coming to Tommy. He's going to be going to St. Thomas. Not the St. Thomas at the D1 level, but rather the non-D1 level. And it's a little bit of a loss for A&T as he wound up seeing some meaningful minutes last year. Three and a half points per game. Was able to put up right around two boards. Did a solid job being able to shoot right around 32% from three. So that is going to be a little bit of a depth loss for them. A little bit surprising on this as Josh Oguero. Someone who I thought was going to be able to go to San Jose State and was going to be able to do some nice things with regards to that program Inside, that he is going to go down to the 91 level. He's going to be going to Kobe Community College, began his career at Oklahoma, couldn't really get out there on the floor there, and then with San Jose State it was just a big giant Rooney as he wound up having two points, one rebound per contest. I thought that he was going to be able to come in be a little bit of a six for five combo player for the team. Never wound up happening for them, so that's a little bit of an issue. Jackson Gammons, he was a bench warmer over there at the Citadel. Inside that he is going to be going down to Anderson College. Could not really be able to get a lot of minutes with regards to that program. So inside that he is going to be going down, and he is going to be able to just. You wind up seeing a little bit more playing time in general. Lathaniel Bastin is the opposite of a lot of what we've been talking about recently is he's actually going up to the D1 level. Last year he was at Angelo State and someone that's able to do a relatively solid job down low. And we've noticed it with Kelsey Fullerton. They're looking at guys that they are able to provide a little bit more down low. We wind up seeing the success that they wound up having with E.J. Onasiki, and I think that they're going to try to channel that through Mr. Bastien. He wound up being able to do a good job being able to give the team right in the neighborhood about 8.5 rebounds per game last season. 11. A half points not a guy that is going to be stretching the floor by any stretch of the imagination but also a good shot blocker was able to give the team just under 2 blocks per contest out there one of the better D2 conferences in all of college basketball. I do think that he's going to see some minutes. Certainly I don't think that he's going to be some guy that winds up coming in averaging a double-double or anything like that but I think that that's a good pickup for them. And then with Fullerton, they wanted picking up another guy from the non-D1 level as Max Jones. He was playing last year at Tampa. I believe that this is a little bit more of a junior college school, but he, in seven games, was able to do a very solid job putting up 22.5 points per contest, shot 35% from three-point range. Very small sample size out there in the Sunshine State Conference, but someone who showed some relatively good promise, if he is able to come in and if he is able to wind up having a relatively good run of things, that is going to be rock solid as you wind up having those numbers with Tampa and then a little bit more of a full season wind up averaging more like 22 points per game. So, oh no, you wind up really scuffing there, but that said, I do think that this is someone that is going to be a bucket getter that is going to be coming in, and it's going to be big for him to be able to improve his three-point shooting because that's one thing that Kelsey Fullerton did not wind up having. Last year, Shot more around 32.5% from three-point range overall for his career. Right around 33.5%, 30, 34-ish 34 ish percent from three-point range, at a guy that's able to do off the ball a little bit and got right around 1.2 steals per game as well. So, very interesting to take a look there. I know that actually the Wisconsin Badgers were showing some interest in Max Jones as well. So, that is going to be one of impact you wind up seeing, just seeing, Siani, he was playing last season at UW-Milwaukee, and I mean, we have seen an exodus with UW-Milwaukee, but he decided that he is going to be going to the Fighting gambles of Gamble. as Gamble, I think that they're going to be getting a guy that's going to be able to perhaps wind up seeing the floor in a few years, a little bit more of a project guy, wind up seeing some minutes towards back half of the season, and when he wound up getting minutes against UIC and IUPUI, In those two games, wound up combining for 12 points, six rebounds over the course of about 40 or so minutes. So he needs a little bit of work there. Not a guy that's necessarily able to pop threes, but did wind up seeing a little bit more playing time, turns back half of the season as UW Milwaukee. Just wound up having their season go off the rails in general. You wound up seeing Ryan Rap. He last season was over there at Washington State. inside decided that he is going to be going to Hawaii. This is going to be big for the Rainbow Warriors, who they've been able to do a solid job in the transfer portal. Now, Rap, two seasons ago, had a relatively okay year at Washington State. Had three and a half points, right around two assists, two and a half boards. Not a guy that's going to go out there and is necessarily going to be going bombs away from three or anything like that. And actually, a gentleman that began his... Life out in the country of Australia slash the continent of Australia. He's going to be coming in, and I do think that he's going to be one of those guys that with his size is going to be able to cause for some matchup issues out there in the Big West. Not a guy that's going to go out there and is going to be able to bury a lot of threes, but certainly a little bit of impact guy. So going to be fascinating to see what winds up happening there. You wind up seeing an NBA draft decision, according to John Rossine, to Key Green, who was playing last season at Stony Brook, has decided that he is going to be returning to school. He was an all-AEC performer last season, and 14 points, 8 rebounds right around a ceiling app per contest. He was really able to fill it up. And on top of that, he really improved his three-point shooting. First three years in college basketball, shot under 30% per three. Not saying the free throw shooting percentage is much better, but shot 649 percent at the charity stripe. After first three years, he was shooting sub 60% at the free throw line, but buried 42.5% of his threes, right around three threes per contest is what he was taking. This is going to be very significant for them. I think that he's going to be able to come in. And I think that he's going to be able to do, once again, a solid job for a Stony Brook team that, with Elijah Olenee going down with injury, it wound up derailing them a little bit last season. Are they going to be able to track down Vermont, especially with Vermont getting Dylan Penn? No, but I think that Sony Brook can once again be a relatively solid program, and I believe that they are moving to the CAA either this season or next season. So, if this is the first year for them in the CAA, this is going to be a case in which I think that they're going to be able to hold their own in that conference. If they're back in the AEC, well, they are going to be one of the better teams, but I believe that Sony Brook now out there in the CAA, as that's something that we're going to be taking a look at a lot on this podcast as well, because we've got so much movement. There's quite a bit of. Change that is still happening with regards to conference realignment as well. As I know that Chicago State was trying to get into the MEAC a few weeks ago. So, I mean, that is going to be a whole boatload of fun. But, that said, we're going to be getting that ironed out with regards to conference previews. And then you saw Austin Harville, who actually during the 2020-21 season was a starter over at Tennessee Tech. He decided that he is going to be going to Alabama A&M. Just was glued to the bench this last season. He was dealing with injuries as well. He averaged right around five and a half points. 4.2 rebounds, that shot 36% from three point range. As a six foot six combo player at Tennessee Tech during that 2020-21 season, this last year just did not wind up seeing the floor in general. But if he's able to go back to the numbers that he was able to put up as a starter about two seasons ago, that is going to be big for an Alabama a and team that. Last season, you noticed that they wound up having pretty much two guys that they wanted being able to give you production, and they had just nothing else past that, but hopefully we're going to be able to give you lots of production on this podcast, Coast to Coast Supes. Like I mentioned, with regards to the realignment, we're going to be straightening all of that out during the South season, as well as there's actually still realignment moves that are being made, so that's always a whole boatload of fun, and I still remember doing some conference previews last season in like June, and then we wound up having conference realignment after that. Hopefully, we don't want. End up having the case here, but if we do, I'll have that all covered. And if you do like featuring from this fine podcast, go go hoops. You're able to subscribe wherever your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways to be able offered this. In first one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters M, mean it does not matter. Size so per as as usual. Please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. buy that five star. Review. Big thanks to Eli Becker of EJBB for joining me in the second segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.